Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Adrian Griffin and the Bucks parting ways. We're going to welcome in Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine to talk about the Australian Open. Uh, if anyone has noticed why I look like a washed-up K-pop star, uh, it's because I'm wearing a lot of makeup because <laughs> I was just on Golf Channel, uh, so I apologize for that. But, Drew, let's uh, quick teaser on Adrian Griffin. We'll get more into this at the end of the show, but uh, what are your emotions post-Griffin uh, out? I don't know. I kind of want to hear your take on Tory Pines. <laughs> No, uh, this was, this was absolute out of the clouds. Did not see this coming. Scratched my head for five minutes as to why now is there more to this? Uh, Is this, you know, and, but we can kind of go back a giant step to preseason. The hire didn't make sense in the first place because the, you know, the move to get Damian Lillard is a win now, like, like literally now. You must win now. And if that doesn't come through to fruition because your coach is going through the growing pains of learning how to navigate a playoff series, you're in deep trouble. Uh, so I guess maybe they came to that realization with whatever data they've got in-house telling them you know, the way they're performing relative to what they're expecting to perform. It's just not up to snuff. But um, this was a shocker. Uh, and the names that they're floating around to replace them have me kind of even more, even more perplexed. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Uh, someone who's holding a lot of Celtics title equity, I would have preferred that Adrian Griffin just stick around the whole year. Uh, <laughs> but if we're going to get Doc Rivers instead and we're recording uh, Tuesday late afternoon, <laughs> uh, then I don't think it's too big of a change. But, and the thing is, and we'll get more into this uh, a bit later, but people are like, how do you fire a coach when he's 30 and 13? It's a rookie head coach. It's like, well, they're not really, they, like they are 30 and 13, but they're 10th in the NBA in net rating at just a, a meager plus 3.8. They really should be more like a 26 and 17 type of team. And uh, and I think that they probably did the right thing uh, moving on. Anyway, we'll get more into that a bit later. Now, let's welcome in Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Great to see you again, Caitlin. It has been a while. Uh, let's get straight into it. We'll tackle both the men's and women's side, but let's start off with the blockbuster. Coco Goff is a plus 165 underdog against uh, Arena Sabalenka, who has just been going uh, scorched earth uh, all over uh, my uh, mother country, Australia. She is minus <laughs> 210 to, uh, to continue that run. Uh, what's your read on this one? 
I have so much love for Coco Goff. I was among the incredibly energized fanship that was cheering her on in this first, most recent three-set battle between the two of them. Tomorrow's match, the match that is airing uh, as soon after we get done talking, it is not going to be close. And Arena Sabalenka is going to go through Coco Goff like, frankly, like a blowtorch through butter. I think she looks so unbeatable. It's like she's unhinged her jaw and just sw started swallowing other Grand Slam winners whole, as she did with Barbara Kurjikova um, in the past round. And frankly, you know, Arena Sabalenka has too much firepower for Coco Goff, especially the way Coco is playing a little defensive. She always moves well. She always battles well. But she's not quite at her best in this tournament. We've seen her struggle through a couple matches. The match she had um, the other day with Marta Kostiak was real ugly. She won it, and winning ugly counts just as much as winning pretty, but does not bode well for her to meet a very, very informed Arena Sabalenka. So I don't I don't see this being close. I don't give Coco much of a chance. Love her. Would love to see her get back to the finals of another slam, but unlikely given the form that Arena Sabalenka finds herself in and how much Coco has struggled, I think, in the past couple of matches. Okay, this, this sounds familiar. <clears throat> I think I said a lot of this stuff myself uh, before the U.S. Open final. Uh, where Good Coco Goff took care of business. Uh, granted, it wasn't a clean win. Like uh, you know, she went down two six in the first set, and I was like, "Yep, just like I thought. No, you know, no, no, uh, uh, you know, no particular test here." But uh, Coco did dig in and win six three six two to to take home her first slam, um, and she's carried that form through to a degree uh, here in Australia, which uh, uh, is encouraging because her you know her first half of last year was really really rough and this is a different player entirely which is exciting um but uh, she you know she's got a four and two head to have rec head record over their career now really last year's us open and last year's indian wells are probably the only two you can hold up and say yeah this is indicative of the players and who they are now um but the question that i will always have backing arena sabalenka in the semifinal is that it's a slam semifinal <laughs> and this yeah, is where she, she has <laughs> so much mental baggage when it comes to Famous this level of a slam and uh, uh, and the fact that it's against you know the player she lost to most recently at the slam level like are, are these is is that enough of an x factor to close the gap because i agree with you <clears throat> the form you've seen from these two players at this tournament would clearly indicate uh sabalenka should be your favorite but uh i guess is there any angle into the dog price here just on the basis of um you know head-to-head -head pedigree and uh and some some mental baggage Nerves are certainly a valid factor, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that we also said before that Australian or before that U.S. Open final was just how unlikely it was that Coco was even going to compete, even up until really half of the way through the second set, where she just looked outmatched, outgunned, and Arena Sabalenka had up until I think last year gotten a real block on her on her game on her psyche to get past semifinals. So I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing that we have not given her both credit and a, a bit of a demerit for is she's also struggled with her serve. You know, she famously had the Leips. You know, there's a lot going on in the mind of Verena Sabalenka, or maybe not a lot going on, but either way, it's not always helpful. What I will say is the big difference here is that to me watching that US Open final, the three-set battle, the longer Coco hung in and the more the crowd got into it, the more the belief raised for Coco and just absolutely dissipated for Arena. I don't think that crowd factor, as much as both uh, Arena Sabalenka and Coco Goff are beloved by the Australian crowds, 
it's just so hard to imagine that they get in Arena Sabalenka's head the way that the New York crowd willing Coco onto victory plays as much of a role. That said, you know, look, who knew, only Arena Sabalenka knows what goes on in the mind of Arena Sabalenka. So I do think that's an that's a that's an X factor for sure. Okay, you make your your compelling points here. Because um, <laughs> I, I wanted the dog price because I just think there's you know this is a it's, it's a little tilted based on what we see. You know, a little little too. Um, uh, you know, reactionary. So, you know, c- congratulations. You handled Barbara Kuchikova, who you've handled five times in your career. Big, you know, congratulations. Now you got to yeah. go to the semifinal and you got to beat Coco. Like, I, I, it, how about uh, how about this? Can I sell you on like five to one for Coco Goff to win two sets to one? Because, I mean, I agree with you. Like, it's not going to be easy for her to get this one across the finish line. She's going to have to use her endurance. She's going to have to make this a longer match, I would guess. Uh, is that a better way in? It's certainly a valid question. If the, she's taking this, it's only going to be in three. There's no straight set march to victory uh, in the books for Coco Goff. Uh, but listen, we would be so thrilled if she were to pull it off and get herself to the second Grand Slam final in a row. The last one, she won. For me, the concern about Sabalenka, it's not so much the final that she lost against Coco. It's the fact that, think back to how dominant she was in the first five matches of that U.S. Open, where, again, no one got more than four games off her in a set. Yeah. And then she got bageled by Madison Keys in the first set of the semi. And she just just completely let go of the rope. And she really should have lost that match to Keys. And just the fact that that is still lingering in there, the fact that in the semi against Mukova, like that was done. And then she just, again, just let go of the rope. I think the Wimbledon semi against Owens, like I just think Owens played out of her mind. I don't think Sabalenka bottled that, so to speak. Um, but I think there has been some, some bottling at different stages. But... Uh, Speaking of uh, that U.S. Open run, the the woman who got four games off her uh, in the lead up to the semi was Zinwen Zhang, who is uh, on the top half of this draw. Caitlin, uh, what do you make of her chances to get to the final? And do you think anyone in the top half of the bracket can knock off uh, Goff or Sabalenka? Good. So many good questions. Chinwen has been one of my favorite players to watch for the last couple of years, so much so that we put her on a cover of Racket Magazine last year just because of how explosive her game is, how well she moves. She has an incredibly cool combination of sort of Chinese first strike mentality, uh, not to generalize, but a lot of players who grew up in the sort of shadow of Lina took away from her, you know, a really attacking mentality. But also she trains in Spain, which means she defends really well. She can really outlast, outwit, outplay from the baseline. So I'm a huge, huge stockholder in the Chen Wenzheng uh, equity basket. And I, to me, don't see anybody in her top of the draw. Yes, we've seen some incredible tennis out of Anna Kalinskaya, who she plays next. Yes, we've seen um, Naskova, the young Naskova, who knocked out Iga Sviantek. Um, you know, and Diana Yastremska, who qualified to get in here, she's always a dangerous lurker. She can hit the bejesus out of the ball and, you know, get back into matches that she has no business winning just by pure, pure, pure virtue of, you know, sheer power. That said, 0% chance uh, any of those other folks give Zhang a run for her money if she plays the way that she has been playing in these last couple of matches. She has been rounding into form. I think she is just so much more of a possessor of tools than anybody else in that part of the draw. As good as Linda Noskova is, as good as Yastrzemska is, as good as Kalinskaya is, they're all kind of more one-dimensional than Chinwen. Chinwen Zhang, to me, really deserves to be in the final because of the kind of season she had last year and because of what she's been able to do in this tournament so far, just really, really gaining steam. So I expect her to be a great matchup for whoever makes it through to the final uh, on the other side of the draw. 
Well said, and I couldn't agree with you more. She's an outstanding player. And the fact that she's breaking through at this event on this surface is a surprise. Uh, and I think Portend's, you know, pretty amazing things for her throughout 2024. So let's go, Zhang. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. I would uh, like to pivot here to the men's side where we have, uh, you know, a pretty epic matchup. Um, a lot of people have been looking to 2024 as a breakout opportunity for Yannick Sinner. Um, but he has the stumbling block now of facing an informed no- Novak Djokovic in the semifinals in order to make his first career slam final. I don't think this is that bad of a matchup for him personally. I backed some Sinner in you know pre, you know, pre-tournament, largely understanding that he was going to have to clear this hurdle. Um, but in you know his career, we've seen him challenge uh, Djokovic at Wimbledon. Uh, granted, he backed that up with a non-compete uh, the second time he played Djokovic. <laughs> uh, and uh, he beat him in the Tour Finals. He beat him in the Davis Cup Finals. Like He, he definitely has uh, slain the dragon, so to speak, and I think will be um, you know at least a little bit more mentally fortified uh, as he takes on Djokovic in this particular matchup. What uh, what can you take away from some of the past history, real like recent and lots of history between Sinner and Djokovic, and and uh, and trying to project how they'll play on these in these conditions? And uh, considering I don't know, I guess Yannick is a little less uh, less tested, a little less stressed uh, to this point in the tournament than Djokovic has been, surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly, I think it sort of struck me watching Novak play a couple of these matches that he might be a little under the weather. Um, he hasn't looked 100%, which, you know, Novak Djokovic can win in under any circumstance, in any condition, healthy, sick, you know, with one arm tied behind his back. You know, like the guy just really loves the challenge and sees it as something to overcome as opposed to, you know, an excuse uh, for not performing to his best. That said, Yannick Sinner had a fantastic end of the year last year playing Djokovic in those burst of matches just back to back to back and gained, I think, a ton of confidence with the ability that he could hang in and hit through him. To beat Novak Djokovic, you have to hit through him. You have to hit him off the court. Yannick Sinner gets low. He stays low and he hits really, really, really uh, you know, clean early balls, which I think is what he absolutely has to do against Djokovic. He has to take it to him. All of those matches at the end of last year, best of three sets. Everybody knows that Novak Djokovic is a little bit vulnerable, if he's vulnerable at all, in best of three. Best of five is a total different ballgame, so we haven't seen Sinner really step into that echelon of best of five set player against Novak Djokovic, and this match is probably, to me, on the men's side, the most exciting popcorn match I can imagine, because I think Sinner has a better chance of taking out Djokovic than anybody else in the draw even including Carlos Alcaraz, who took him out in best of five at Wimbledon last year. So for me, this is, it is coming down to this. I will not be missing it. I don't care what time my alarm needs to go <laughs> off because the Yannick Sinner, Novak Djokovic, best of five that we are, that we are owed as tennis fans is at the door. And I'm with the Corota boys, man. I'm going to scream my head off because I actually am going to give Sinner the edge. 
Okay, I like it. I'm not sure any any man has cost me more money over the journey than uh, outside of maybe Carson Wentz and Jimmy Butler, um, but he's certainly in the top three. Uh, and I still am mentally scarred from the as a quarterfinal right against Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, where he had the he had match point on his racket. Uh, I can still see him serving uh, to the advantage side and losing that point, um, but. He has some demons to exercise, but it seems like he's in as good a position uh, as he could possibly be to do that. Now, as we're recording, don't know what the matchups uh, or what will happen in the bottom half of the draw. Is there someone in the bottom half? You know, Alcaraz is, the, I guess, the obvious one, but do you think that anyone else can give Sinner or Djokovic a run for their money in the final? And the man who is up for the task is certainly Daniil Medvedev, both because... Ooh. He's done it before, and he is the perennial wild card. If anybody enjoys a wild and hairy ride to a Grand Slam final, it's Daniil Medvedev because he's done it so many times that I think that's actually his preferred way to be. He's kind of been under the radar of this tournament, even though he's played great. He's come through some very, very tight uh, matches, including a five-set epic that finished at something like four in the morning. Um, I actually think he has just as good a chance, if not better, than Alcaraz to win the tournament. So I think, uh, uh, sorry, to beat Djokovic. So for me, actually watch Medi. He uh, is somebody who I think will come through her catch, and I also think he is a real threat. Um, really on this surface, especially if the person who comes out of that top half is Novak. Novak versus Medi for a final, I think, would be the uh, another incredible popcorn match on the men's side. Yeah, I have no idea who's going to win this sort of it. <laughs> These are all really even and really good matchups. Uh, Medvedev, Alcaraz, if we get it in the other semifinal, that was one of the most memorable men's tennis matches last year when Medvedev took Alcaraz out in the semifinals at the U.S. Open. Aw- awesomely cool. And then if if we get another Alcaraz-Djokovic final, it would be a, a must-watch. Like literally any combination of the most likely yeah. four at this point is just going to be you know must must-see tennis, and that's very exciting. And honestly – I think there is a definitely a chance of whichever of the two semifinals is more competitive, whichever competitor who emerges is more damaged heading into the final is probably at a dis, you know, at the true disadvantage in terms of that being the you know kind of the way into betting the the final here. So um, I have this circled. Whereas even if Sinner can't get it across the line against Djokovic, but he pushes him to five and he really takes a serious bite out of him, um, that's exactly how Medvedev got Djokovic at the U.S. Open. Like that was it. I got yep. zero did it to him, uh, and that opened the door. So uh, I definitely now now Djokovic comes through three zero, and uh, you know Sinner Al- oh, and, Al- yeah. and, Al- and Alcaraz <laughs> Medvedev is like a best of five five hour match that I'm going to be pretty bummed because uh, you know you Djokovic is going to be minus three hundred in the final. But um, yeah, <laughs> we fair. have we have so far to go to get across. I mean, basically the men's uh, the men's it's Australian open. open. It's about to start. Yeah, exactly. It's about to start, and it's probably the most exciting business end of a Grand Slam I can think of in recent years on both sides. Personally, I hope we get the Sinner-Alcaraz rematch just because that was such an epic um, performance and from both sides, really. I still have no idea how Sinner got in position to have a match point, let alone won a set in that match. It just felt like he was being outplayed the entire time. And then he just went, again, like Sabalenka scorched earth and won a tiebreak 7 nothing, and that's all happening. Um, yeah, that was an epic, and, and I hope, selfishly, that we get a rematch. Uh, but, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell people where to find you on social? media or anything that you're working on absolutely racketmag.com we are actually doing an australian open daily podcast our talent renee stubbs is down on the ground with our cultural attache 
Andrea Pekovic, they're doing daily recaps. Uh, there's a lot of very fun personal details that goes into those pods because they're also roommates when they're not commentating or playing in the Legends tournament. So, you know, you'll hear about trips to the post office. You'll hear some, you know, breakfast shit talk. It's an absolute wonder, and we're, we're thrilled to have them. So it's our daily <laughs> podcast. You can subscribe at the Renee Seb Sennis podcast or check us out at rackandback.com. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Enjoy Thanks, the rest of the matches. Cheers. Okay, before we get back to uh, Adrian Griffin, Ohio State Drew is looking to keep pace with the front runners in the Big Ten women's basketball standings. They'll have a chance to do so on Thursday when they face Illinois. Watch the Buckeyes and Fighting Illini showdown at 6.30 p.m. Eastern exclusively on Peacock. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Really feels like Yannick Sinner is going to bottle this at some point. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we will see. Uh, Adrian Griffin won't be bottling anything uh, because he is out, as we mentioned. Um, so let's talk about the betting repercussions. Um, the Bucks actually drifted to win the East. Um, after this, uh, the Sixers firmed a little bit. I don't think this really does anything in terms of the Bucks' uh, outlook. I would say that it probably raises their ceiling a little bit just because it's different. And they, again, as you mentioned, they were 10th in net rating despite being basically fully healthy the entire season. I think Giannis might have missed two games and Lillard has almost played every game. So do you think this does anything? And it really looks like now it's going to be Doc Rivers. Um, do you think this does anything for the Bucks' title chances? Yeah. Is that really likely? Like 180% you think? Uh, I mean, the way that Shams is tweeting about it, yeah, it seems like it's going to happen. They're working oh on a gosh. contract. Okay, well, um, Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, give me... Uh, Celtics minus five for my lungs. Um, you know, the, the idea that we're going to get another Doc Rivers game seven in my lifetime is is pretty exciting because <laughs> for whatever it's worth, uh, the tactical wrinkles just elude him at that stage of the competition. And, um, you know, he's he didn't have the answers for the Celtics when he was with the Sixers, and now he's going to have it with the Bucks. Um, man, a weird, weird, weird uh, uh, set of circumstances. I agree. I, I, it doesn't change my numbers really much at all, uh, other than I, I, you're, you're right in that, like going with the more experienced coach gives them potentially a little bit more um, dynamism in a uh, playoff series as opposed to, uh, you know, Griffin, who may have been making rotational mistakes and, you know, needed a year to kind of get his feet under him. Um, but uh, I don't see Doc Rivers as a meaningful upgrade in that context. And I think, uh, think this is weird man <laughs> it uh it is quite peculiar i do think it makes sense that they did this though just given how poorly uh they have been playing and the defense being as bad as it, it's been just do you I mean, think that's just coaching and not personnel uh i mean what you you get rid of you trade drew holiday for damian lillard and you go from the best defense or the second best defense in the nba to the 
what are they now? They're like the 20th best defense. They don't have anyone to defend point of attack. Well, that's the problem. This is the problem with this team. Actually, down to 22 in defense after getting lit up by the Pistons um, back to back. But it's just like Malik Beasley, who I think was getting played off the court for his defense with the Lakers, and now he's literally their number one defensive wing stopper. Um, This team has really missed Jay Crowder, uh, my namesake, which is a problem because no team that has championship aspirations should be missing Jay Crowder this much. Uh, I think that yeah, I think that it raises their ceiling a little bit and maybe they'll just do something different on defense. The People forget this, but like they scrapped their defense after like three games or something. Yeah. Like they came into the season with one defense. wasn't working. Let's just go back um, to what we were doing. So that's a problem. They don't have anyone who, like these younger guys, like they really needed Bochamp or Jackson or something to really become someone, to become like a better version of the Darbo Cephalosha role on those Thunder teams where you can just be three and D and it just hasn't really happened. Um, Brooke Lopez has been fine, but he's older. Giannis quietly has been like, this is the best Giannis has been in a long time. Yeah, he looks great. He's, he's been excellent. Uh, And I think that he is, uh, I mean, his chances of winning MVP, everyone's chances of winning MVP are going to be difficult with him, what Embiid is doing. But I think he is kind of closer to the Embiid doesn't qualify uh, MVP realm than, than people realize. Like, I think he's right there with Shea and Jokic, even if he's slightly behind them now. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a personnel thing. Uh, and uh, I'm not really sure how they fix that, given they have no assets really to move. Yeah. Uh, the best defending guard slash small forward. Um, now that they don't have Drew Holiday, is Pat Content and he's a minus on defense. That's a problem, uh, and that doesn't solve itself by bringing in Doc Rivers. So, uh, so <laughs> Pat Connaughton on deep. So Pat Connaughton, he has a negative five point eight EPM this season, <laughs> which I it's like. He's not. He can't possibly be that bad. But I mean, he's in the first percentile on for defensive EPM. Like it's just been. A disaster whenever he's on the court. And again, I don't think he's actually that bad, but it just goes to show um, how much they have struggled. Now, someone who is the only thing I really care about in the NBA outrights market is just the Celtics winning the title. I guess we've just been all in on from the start. Uh, and the, my a big part of that handicap for me, or at least a, a meaningful part of it, is that I think there are only three teams in the East that matter. Um, and that's Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia with respect to Miami, um, who ripped my heart out and Boston's heart out last year and then almost did the same the year prior. Like, if Boston have um, a Eastern Conference final matchup against Miami again, like, sign me up. That, that would be a dream. I don't want to see... Uh, I only want to see one of Embiid or Giannis in the playoffs. And I do think that just with how poorly this team was playing, I do think there was some risk that they could have fallen to four in the East. Um, but a big part of the, the handicap was that the you know Milwaukee and Philly would be the two three and Boston are the one and you only have to play one of those. I do think now that they like there is scope. I don't think they can get much worse than they're playing this season, which is strange because they are thirty and thirteen. But the process has been so poor. Where I do think they are likely to finish two or three in the East. Very likely get Philadelphia, which is. You know, aside from my betting positions, like it is about time that we saw a Giannis Embiid seven-game series. Oh uh, yes, would be a lot of fun. But uh, I mean, how do you think that? I've been watching these teams lately. I'm like, <laughs> Philadelphia just better than Milwaukee. Like, are they just more likely to win the East than Milwaukee? Like, what's your read on those two teams? Uh man, 
it's such a narrow margin that uh, you kind of do kind of come down on. I it, honestly that 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 sounds like a seven game series to me. That's defi- defined, you know, decided by uh, whoever is the most efficient in ISO ball in the final four minutes of those ga- of that game. Like that, that that is narrow, narrow, narrow margin uh, over a best of seven series. Um, the I guess I would tilt in Philly's favor because again Milwaukee has no answers for point of attack defense, which means that you have a number of guys, including uh, Maxi and Tobias Harris, who are going to be able to get easier baskets, particularly if they sell out to uh, keep the ball out of Embiid's hands in crunch time. And Embiid has had a propensity to not really want his ball in the hands in crunch time in those kind of a game. So uh, yeah, I think ultimately Philly would probably be my pick. But um, no, you're you're set up well right now because Miami is kind of. They might be on the other side of the bracket of the Celtics as well. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, that well, there's two two things. Number one, they could be in a road series against the Cavs, who are playing really good ball, uh, or they could be, you know, in the six, which where where you would get potentially a Milwaukee Miami round one series, which would be something to see. <laughs> another another one, another Miami Milwaukee. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe the basketball guys just want that every year, and that it is what it is. But uh, this uh, basically everything that's happened so far this season. Uh, has tended to reinforce that the Celtics in the playoffs are going to be um, an extremely tough out. And at plus 130, you're not, you know, you're obviously not taking uh, running to the window to get that bet in uh, at this time. Um, but uh, I'm not going to have any reservations of getting a little aggressive betting Celtics in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think for all the discourse and concern around the Celtics crunch time clutch offense, I don't think people realize that like, the Celtics net rating in the clutch this year is plus 18.7. That's third best in the NBA. Like they have been really good in the clutch. And I think that the Denver loss is that like Tatum just missed, he just missed shots and then they missed open threes and they couldn't make a three in the second half. Like I'm not, it is a little bit of a concern that again, and so much of like late game offense in the NBA, particularly in the playoffs comes down to your best player holding the ball with nine seconds left on the shot clock, needing to do something. And there is just more that uh, Nikola Jokic or Kevin Durant or Stephen Curry, there's just more that those guys can do with just their player type and their skill level than what Jason Tatum can do. Um, a friend of mine made a good point of like, all right, think of, just imagine a late game Jokic um, possession. And you think of him backing down on the post and reading the floor and either bullying his man into the hole or um, or passing out to an open three. Like, what do you think of Jason Tatum? Like, what does Jason Tatum do in that spot? It's like, you don't have great kind of thoughts. It's like a step back three with a hand in his face uh, or just driving into traffic and hoping that, you know, the shot kind of, the flailing shot kind of falls. But that's pretty niche. And ultimately, I think that, they still have the best team. Uh, and to your point about Miami, like, I think it's a problem for them that like the Cavs are really good all of a sudden. And the Knicks, yeah. the Knicks are a serious team now, a serious team in terms of I think they can win a round of the playoffs. So Miami is no lock whatsoever <laughs> to beat either of those teams. Um, and then the last thing is that I actually think that Philadelphia are more likely to win the East than Milwaukee. And the reason for that is, is that it's the same reason why I went kind of all in on Boston after they traded for, for Chris Stapps is that like Boston at that point, they weren't a finished team because they still had first round picks. They still had the Brogdon and Williams contracts. I was projecting that, you know, this team is all in. They've clearly made that indication by trading for Chris Stapps for Zingas. And then they make the Drew Holiday trade. And it's the same thing with Philly now is that 
They have assets. They have contracts to move. Like this team, this team is very likely going to get better at the deadline. Now, whether that's trading for another star, I think it's probably more likely that they trade for someone like Alex Caruso. But if they get Alex Caruso, then I think they're probably just better than Milwaukee as is. And Milwaukee have no scope to get better. Like they have no assets to move. This is their team right now with Malik Beasley um, as their version of OG Ananobi, basically, in terms of he is their wing stopper. So uh, that. That is how I would break that down. Uh, anything else on the East before we call it? Um, Terry Rozier doesn't really move the noodle for you for the Heat? He's fine. He's good. He's a good player, and he'll, they'll get more out of him than they got out of Lowry. Uh, and I think that, you know, watching Miami, particularly in the Denver series, like that was a team that just needed additional shot creation outside of Jimmy Butler. And look, they, some of that, Tyler Hero gives them some of that. Rozier gives them that as well and he's less of a defensive liability than hero but i just don't really see the upside of this team relative to to the big three and all and like i literally don't see their like their height like it's a problem that you know everyone like bam Adebayo is a magnificent player and he's kind of adored in league circles and everything but like i think it is kind of a problem with that team that like bam Adebayo is six nine and doesn't shoot threes like it's just it's a structural flaw of that team um and you kind of saw it manifest against denver in the finals where like bam can't guard Jokic one-on-one and not many people can but he can't and i'm not sure what kind of success he's going to have against joel Embiid if that is the matchup um and then on the other side like i think boston just have such a talent advantage so uh not too worried about miami though i wasn't worried about them last year either okay very very fair um for wednesday in the nba kind of a weird card uh, only thing really popping for me is uh, the uh, dubs, I think, can get back on track against this deeply unserious Atlanta Hawks team. Uh, not expecting uh, Trey Young uh, and uh, DeAndre Hunter to be available for this one. And uh, Atlanta's just in a brutal spot here. So let's go dubs. Yep. No, that, uh, I do think there is a mini renaissance coming for the Warriors, even though I don't think that they're a threat. Mini, a mini, mini, mini one. <laughs> Wiggins has quietly been a little bit better. Uh, yeah, yes. Two games, which, which helps, and they'll get Chris Paul back um, too, which helps. All right, we are done for now. Later in the week, we're going to talk about the most improved player market. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll go through the awards markets uh, kind of one by one over the next week or so uh but in the meantime don't forget to check out nbcsports.com for more information to help you with your wages thanks for those watching on the nbc sports youtube channel and please if you're listening to us as a podcast don't forget to rate and subscribe also a reminder to find all your favorite nbc sports shows on amazon music just head to amazon.com slash nbc sports from jay croucher and drew dinsick thanks again to caitlin thompson we'll see you soon Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.